We're going to get started in just a minute. But before we do, I want to talk to you about Anchor by Spotify. It is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. This is what I use for my podcast, and it is fantastic. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the March or Die show today. Very glad to have you with me. Thank you for watching and or listening. Looking forward to an incredible conversation. This is one that you do not want to miss. A longer conversation than normal, but you're going to want to stay for the whole thing. And uh, looking forward to jumping on there in just a second. But before we do, I want to remind you, if you are listening to the podcast version of this, you're not watching on YouTube or elsewhere, you're listening to the podcast version of this, please make sure that you are subscribed to whatever podcast platform it is you prefer. Go ahead and check that out. Uh, Find the place to subscribe so that you receive this show and future shows uh, whenever they come out. I want to make sure that you have them right away. So go ahead and subscribe there. That would be fantastic. You can also leave a comment uh, there, leave a rating there. That is also very, very helpful. And then when you get a second, jump over to YouTube, our channel there. You can find, go to YouTube, search my name, Jeremy Stallnecker. You'll find my channel. This show is there, the video version of this show. Other content that I put there just about every week is there as well. Content all intended to be a help to you. So please check that out. The last place I'll send you to is my website, jeremystallnecker.com, jeremystallnecker.com. I feel obligated to say this every time I share my website, uh, my name. I remember it. That's why I use it. So please go to jeremystallnecker.com. You can find links to the YouTube channel, links to the podcast, links to other content that I produce. My blog is there. Uh, I write on many of these topics, and you can find that there as well. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter. And uh, all of that is offered to you at no cost. I I simply want to get the content to you that uh, hopefully will be a help and encouragement, maybe not in your life, but maybe in the life of someone that you know, you can share that out with them. And that would be awesome. I want to get right to our conversation today. Again, a little bit longer, but a conversation with someone that you may be familiar with. My guest today is Jeff Durbin. Jeff is uh, an elder and a pastor of Apologia Church. He tells his story as we enter the interview here in just a second, so I won't jump into all of that. But Jeff is on the front lines in so many ways. Apologia Church and Apologia Ministries on the front lines in so many ways of engaging culture with the gospel. Uh, I I love what they have and what they have produced because if you go to their website, uh, you find Apologia, uh, just about every topic that you might be interested in from a theological perspective, from a Christian worldview perspective is there. And it's, it's sorted well, it's searchable, you can find it. Uh, great resource, other shows other than just their main show, other hosts that deal with so many different issues. You need to check them out. Jeff has been uh, very instrumental in leading the charge in some of these areas. Currently, uh, he and the crew at Apologia are working on, and they have been for for many years, not just currently, uh, but in a big way right now, on the End Abortion Now movement. And he's going to talk about that as well. Two topics that we deal with today, and, and again, we... I uh, believe that these topics, uh, really, one impacts the other in a profound way. We're going to talk about biblical masculinity, what it is, uh, why we don't do a better job of understanding it as Christians, how we can teach that to our kids, why it is uh, that men are not more involved in the end abortion now movement or the abolition of abortion movement, how they can be, uh, what it is that really has, in so many ways, isolated men from this larger conversation And then what exactly is abolition as we talk about abortion? What does that mean? Uh, What is the pro-life movement? How do these things play out in real life, in real time? Biblical perspective on all of these. Very excited about this conversation. Please, please, please listen. Share this out. This is one that you want to hear and we want to share with people that you know. This conversation with Jeff Durbin. Jeff Durbin, thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor to have you on. 
It's my pleasure to be with you. It, uh, you guys have been doing some incredible work, and uh, hopefully over the course of this conversation, people who are not familiar with Apologia and the work that you're doing will be. But why don't we start with your background? Uh, a lot of folks know you. A lot of folks know what you do. A lot of people in my audience perhaps do not. So let's start with your background, how you ended up, first of all, in ministry. You've got an incredible background story, and then we'll kind of work from there. Uh, so many great things to touch. Yeah. So grew up uh, Air Force brat and uh, grew up uh, my whole life was martial arts and yeah. competition, competing, fighting, those sorts of things. And uh, so started martial arts training when I was four years old in Holland doing judo. Eventually made our way over to Japan where I uh, trained in two styles at the same time uh, throughout the week. And so my whole life was just every day, all day, martial arts training. Yeah. Got to the U.S., to Washington, D.C., and um, uh, ended up, uh, by God's grace, uh, linking up one of, with one of the greatest martial arts coaches in the world. And um, I was competing from, I guess, I guess 12 years old, 13 years old. Onward, uh, uh, went professional, uh, became a member of a national karate team, went to the Junior Olympics, um, and then I, uh, my whole, my, all my teenage years into my young adult years were uh, competing every weekend somewhere in the country, uh, national tournaments, international tournaments, world championships, and uh, so I won uh, all the major AAA NASCA uh, na national and world championships, the MBL um, championships, ISKA, um, those sorts of things, uh, including a lot of the grand championships. And, um, and so my whole life was martial arts competition, uh, uh, performance fighting. And so that led into a number of other areas where I uh, did some work, uh, for f uh, choreography stunts for the mission impossible video game, age of empires video game. I did the stunts and choreography, the fight scenes for, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Casey Jones for nice. the Ninja Turtles franchise. <laughs> You're and talking I, my language right now. This is my, this heck, is my childhood. You're describing. Heck yeah! I mean, I grew up. <laughs> I it was I grew up doing uh, or you know like gorging myself on Ninja, Tur Ninja Turtle stuff. So when I got the chance to do it, it was it was huge um, yeah. for, for me too. Um, and I uh, also um, was asked to be Johnny Cage, Nightwolf, and Baraka for the Mortal Kombat World Tour, yeah. which was like a multi-million dollar stage production that traveled around the world um, and across the U.S. Uh, for Mortal Kombat and uh, did, did some other things. But basically, my whole life was competition, fighting, martial arts, combat stuff. And um, so I uh, wasn't raised in a Christian home, so I heard the gospel later in life, later uh, teenage years, and uh, had a profession of faith. Ended up, um, I'm not clear whether that profession of faith was genuine or not at this point. My wife and I dispute that. She thinks it was. But um, ended up at one point, uh, a headlong uh, year of depravity in drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, but after that, uh, re-examined the Gospels and the call of Christ to come to him for life and for sure know that I turned to Christ yeah. then. God redeemed me from all that, rescued me from all that. And so, um, uh, yeah, so uh, my... Um, sort of, uh, the area that I was working in the most was the area of like uh, evangelism, apologetics, teaching, those sorts of things. And I'll just say quickly to skip over a lot of stuff. Basically, I you know, went to Bible college, did seminary, um, and um, I got to a point where I essentially said, like, look, I just, I'm just going to own my martial arts school, very successful school. I love to teach martial arts. It's one of my passions. It still is one of my passions. And um, I love everything about the martial arts. I was just going to uh, run this great martial arts school, and um, I was going to just uh, hand out bulletins at church if that's what God wanted me to do, wash toilets at church and go do evangelism and apologetics and those sorts of things, and uh, ended up being the pastor's um, – at the church I was at, essentially uh, started telling me, no, this is where your gift is. You're supposed to be doing this. It's clear God's calling you to do this. And so they, uh, I, I disputed with them and debated with them, and I was essentially forced. My pastor told me, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. You're going to teach this Sunday. Right. And so that started the sort of the course of me teaching and, and ended up being a pastor at that church of a college uh, age. And then uh, ended up uh, – the church went through some struggles, and I sort of uh, – uh, had to take the position of head pastor, teacher, and really everything else. 
At the same time, um, I ended up taking an opportunity to um, uh, be the chaplain, full-time chaplain, at a drug rehab hospital here in Phoenix. And uh, so many people were coming to Christ at the hospital from across the country, really, uh, that it became clear that the Lord was calling me to shepherd them and care for them full-time because they had really unique needs. And so uh, the elders of the church I was at laid hands on me. I was sent to do the work, and Apologia Church um, is about— uh, 12 years old. Um, and so it's been 12 years. God's used us in many ways. Uh, we were known early on as the drug church uh, because <laughs> everybody uh, there uh, came out of drug and alcohol addiction. It was a really rough looking crowd. Right. And uh, now if you came today on a Sunday, you'd never know our history. Uh, lives have been transformed. Yeah. Uh, we've got families and babies now. And uh, our church is, is like the, the children church now. There's kids everywhere, families everywhere. And yeah. Doesn't look like a rough crowd really anymore. Um, but we're engaged in a lot of uh, um, evangelism, teaching, debates, apologetics, um, engagement in the area of cultural issues, uh, drug and alcohol addiction, the cults, atheism, secularism, the law of God, and we also have end abortion now, which is specifically a ministry of the church uh, that really raises up churches. We have uh, over 800 now um, uh, from uh, across the country and really around the world that go to the abortion mills to preach the gospel, to offer help and hope to mothers and fathers, and to uh, even adopt, uh, help, uh, offer to adopt children. That's saved thousands and thousands and thousands of children uh, since we started that. But we also have a, a, a part of that ministry that goes to the legislature and demands equal justice and protection for all children from conception. This year, we potentially have between 15 and 20 states uh, possibly where we can have bills of equal protection in next week. I'll be in Colorado in the chamber speaking to the legislature, um, uh, testifying to them uh, about the bill that we got into Colorado. Uh, it's a bill of equal protection and abolition of abortion, not uh, regulation, right. but criminalization. Yeah, man, incredible. I, one of the things I appreciate about Apologia and particularly your story is just the redemptive aspect of it. Many of the folks who would, would watch or listen to this podcast uh, a lot of the people that I work with through our veterans ministry and working with uh, military folks and first responders, it, it's, a, it's a similar path in that it didn't start with a call to ministry out of Sunday school at age five. It, it was, right. you know, a life lived, some of that good, some of that bad, um, often bad decisions leading to very difficult life situations. And, and to see the redemptive work of God in that, um, you know, I served as a pastor for many, many years. I work now in a Christian organization and preach and teach. And a lot of folks will say, well, what's your, your seminary background? Like, yeah, my pastor said I needed to teach a Sunday school class. And so I did, I did that and I didn't do very well. So he helped me with that. And then I started preaching and, and uh, they sent me out and I pastored a church. That's where I came from. But the, the hope that is in that, I think is incredible, particularly in the modern age understanding that wherever you come from, God is going to use you if you're willing to, you know, turn to him and allow him to do that. And I, I just so appreciate that testimony, not just of you, but of all the folks associated with Apologia, at least yeah. the folks that I've met. It's incredible. Yeah, we generally steer a lot of our guys away from the modern seminaries. Um, <laughs> you'll come out of right. it worse off than when you went in. You feel we like you have, have to some, deconstruct the seminary, you do, right? <laughs> you do. We have some good seminaries to recommend, but they're right. generally online. Uh, so you don't right. have to spend a fortune and lose all your money and go into ministry with debt. Uh, but we think that local church does a better job Agreed. of raising up people for ministry than even you can get in seminary. So we take our men, raise them up theologically, put them under our arm, and let them walk with us through ministry. We think that is truly the best way to raise people up for ministry within the local church context. Right. A- absolutely. In fact, one of the principles that we teach our graduates, those who come through a trauma program with us, you know, there are four things that you need to do. You need to be in the Bible. You need to be uh, in prayer, but you need to be in a strong local church where you can be discipled and trained and, right. and find a place to serve. And and it's critical. I don't, I don't think that you can move forward in a meaningful way without that influence in your life. So I agree 100%. Man, appreciate that. Talk about uh, Apologia, if you wouldn't mind. Um, not just the church, but the kind of the genesis of the other ministries, the radio ministry and so many of the other things that you're involved in. Yeah. Yeah. So um, early on, uh, Apologia started as Apologia Christian Ministries, and it was Pastor Luke Pearson and I uh, creating a ministry that would engage in the area of evangelism and apologetics, the defense of the gospel um, against the cults and against secularism, atheism, all the rest. So that was originally Apologia Christian Ministries. And uh, when the Lord uh, had had made it very clear uh, through a lot of confirmation of men in my life, pastors, seminary people, uh, and just the circumstances that we were called to plant Apologia Church, 
um, uh, Apologia Christian Ministries became Apologia Church. And um, that became the focus. And so I ended up laying hands on Pastor Luke and uh, ordaining him to ministry. And um, and so early on, um, it, it was just sort of a part of our makeup based upon, we think, what the Bible teaches in terms of the Christian church's role, really in uh, duty to engage the world in the public square with the gospel. Um, that was the issue for us. And so it was sort of just normative. It was just common that we, we bring the gospel to the world. We get into conflict. We preach the gospel. Uh, you know, be godly troublemakers and not for the, sure. not for the, not just for the sake of controversy, but for the sake of righteousness and truth. And so, yeah. so we would put up videos of our conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses and atheists and all the rest. And so as Apologia Church was really growing, we also had the teaching ministry of Apologia Church that was up and out and people were viewing that. The, when I was at the hospital, um, it's interesting because the hospital had started as a fully, 100% Christian institution. That's where it came from. It's the oldest Christian rehab in the state of Arizona. Oh, okay. And uh, it became a hospital. Um, and it also was ultimately bought by a secular organization, but they still had a Christian track because uh, that was a huge success for them, it was making right. them millions of dollars. Because yeah, Christians, right. yeah, <laughs> right. Christians, you know, Christians right. are going online when they have a loved one who's struggling with addiction. They're like, where's a Christian rehab? Yeah. And it was coming right. up. So people are flying out from across the country. There's like 100 beds there. It's like a 30-day program, professional detox, doctors, nurses, therapists, all that. Anyway, so uh, they come to me one day. And mind you, like there are like very few Christians on staff there. And it's a Christian rehab. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I, even the thought of that's crazy. I think a lot of organizations have become that. But yeah. dude, it was nuts. I mean, yeah. I, I was in I was in the principal's office a lot for what I was, <laughs> but they couldn't fire me because it was like so successful. Right. So I would just say, fire me. I'm the Christian pastor. Right. Right. So anyway, they they come to me and they're like, hey, you know, uh, we're advertising on this Christian station for the rehab, and they were like, they offered us because we're advertising a free hour every week on the radio. Do you want to use it? And I was like, uh, yeah. I'll yeah. take it. And so I started Redemption Radio, and uh, thank yeah. God, literally, they never listened to it because if they had, <laughs> I would have been in big trouble. Um, and uh, But they never listened to it uh, at all. And so anyway, that was so successful. We put it online, and it was blessing so many people. We were dealing with so many theological issues, and just having a good time doing it, it just blew up. And so the radio station basically came to us and said, hey, this is one of our most popular shows. We want you to renew because the the, the, um, the hospital is no longer going to be advertising through them. And so they were like, you know, we want you to renew. And I said, well, why are you asking us to pay if it's one of your most popular right, shows? Right. So anyway, they were asking for like $2,000 a month. And uh, we didn't have it. We were a poor church. We had no money. And uh, But we were trying to make it work. And so I just finally one day had the revelation that I was like, you know, for $2,000 a month, we can do more than a, a once a week recording where they just give us the recording and we put it online. And, and really, that's where the success of the show is coming from. Ultimately, globally, is us just uploading it. If we had our own space, we could record 10 shows a week and put them up online. And, um, you know, we could do that for 2000 a month. So we were looking around for like a small space. Ultimately, amazing, miraculous things happened. We couldn't really make it to fund. We couldn't really fund it. But God... We put it before him and said, Lord, if you want us to do this, you need to fund it. We don't have the money for it, but we're 100% in. We'll create a studio. We'll do more. And then I got a phone call the next day um, from somebody that said, hey, what are you praying about right now? I didn't even really know this person. They said, I said, here's what we're thinking about doing. He said, great. I have $35,000 to give to you. No Um, way. Wow. Yeah, just out of nowhere. And so anyway, we started Apologia Studios. Now – uh, it reaches millions and millions and millions of people a year um, through all of our platforms. Um, we have seen countless people come to Christ out of Mormonism, the Watchtower, uh, Bible on Track Society, atheism, so many babies saved, and uh, and abortion now ended up coming uh, out of all the work that we we're doing in these areas uh, to save lives and to really engage the issue of abortion in in a meaningful biblical way. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, it's it's funny the apology of ministry. I mean, it reaches so many as you mentioned. Um, a friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, Gabe Wrench, he texted me one day and he said, Hey, um, do you, are you familiar with Apologia and Jeff Durbin? Would you be interested in, in uh, talking to him? I'm like, right now I am actually watching Apologia right now. <laughs> we were doing a, I forget what the presentation was on, but I was watching and, and learning and listening. Oh, right on. Uh, and it's provided such an incredible archive and, and just about every topic someone would want to learn about you guys have talked about. And it's incredible. Yeah. It's um, 
let, let's let's transition to to these topics. There's two topics I'd like to discuss with you, and I, I I believe that really it's one topic, and if we can get one right, we'll get the other one right. Uh, the two topics are biblical masculinity. So, what is a man? What is masculinity? What does that mean? And then we want to talk about, or I'd like to talk about abortion, more specifically abolition, and the connection between the two, understanding what a biblical man is, the impact that that has or could have, certainly on uh, the end abortion now movement, and and so much of the other work that you're involved in, a lot of us uh, are involved in. But let's begin with the first part. So let's talk about biblical masculinity for a minute. Um, you come from a you know very masculine background, martial arts and those kind of things. Um, a lot of people would associate an activity, a lifestyle with masculinity. They say, well, I became a man when I did this, this, and this. Uh, I talk to folks in the military all the time or came from the military, same thing. Masculinity is this stuff that I did. Um, I trained jujitsu, um, not at the level that you have trained, but uh, trained in, in the Carl- Carlson Gracie School. My son's been trained. My uh, other son, my younger son, boxes. Um, you know, very masculine events, very masculine activities, but those do not a man make. And I think in our world, we have, uh, you know, conflated the two. If you do these things, you're a man. And yet we're not doing the things that we were created by God to do as men. Uh, so can you talk about masculinity? Give us maybe a definition and, and explain why it's important for us to nail that down in, in a very real way, not a, you know, ephemeral way, but in, in a very real way. Yeah. Well, I think, and you know, it's, it, it pains me that we have to start at this particular. Sure. Point. Yeah, of course. Of course. What I mean is uh, the the definition now has to swing back a little bit further yep. because of uh, the nature of our current uh, circumstances and <laughs> right. culture. Uh, you know, it's like before we could just maybe, you know, maybe 50 years ago, we could just sort of say, well, let's talk about all the different attributes of a man and, you know, uh, you know, what a man should be doing, what he should look like. Right. Uh, those right. sort of, now we have to actually say, no, you got to go further back into the beginning of creation when God makes male and female. So there's a maleness and a femaleness. And so being a male, a man, ultimately a man really first starts at a more core and foundational place. And that's, it's written in your code. Um, And so, you know, when God speaks, he speaks into creation, he orders it, he designs it. And when he speaks into a life he's creating in the womb, he's creating a male and female-ness. And so uh, being a male man first begins with a deeper question of biological, what is it? And so there are certain aspects to maleness that display the glory of God as the image of God. And there are certain aspects of femaleness that are not maleness and uh, things that are attributes of, of femaleness that uh, speak to the glory of God and his attributes that are not maleness. And so there's distinctions in the created order. So when he asked the question, like, what's a man? And this is interesting because I, I just saw a clip. It's funny that we're talking about this now because I just saw a clip uh, yesterday where somebody was on a talk show with a transgender, it was a dude with a beard and a wig and a dress. Um, and it was uh, another guy that was a, a, a homosexual, uh, but still, you know, claiming to be male. Sure. Right. Uh, but, the, but the dude with the beard and the dress and the wig uh, was challenging this uh, professing Christian guy on like uh, his, his position where he's like criticizing what he's doing, you know, wearing a wig and a dress and a beard. Right. And, right. you know, and, and so like he was saying, well, I'm a, I'm identify as a woman. And this person was like, well, what's a woman? And the person's like, I don't even know. I don't know. I, right, that's right, for someone right, else. It's like, right, but right. no, you said you identify as a woman. So what's a woman? And the person said, well, I don't know. That's not for me to say. It's like you identify as one, but you don't know what it is. Yeah. The Christian worldview can say that's maleness, that's femaleness, man, woman. And so you have to start the conversation today there is that this is written in us, whether you're male or female. Then we move on to the next question of like, well, okay, like what did God create men to do? What are they supposed to be like? What are they supposed to look like? Well, other than the clear biological distinctions of maleness, what are they supposed to look like? And I think if we're going to do this right, um, you could start with, you know, characters like Moses. You could start with biblical heroes. You could talk about David. You could talk about Isaiah, the prophet. You can look at all these things. And I think that that is, it, it is appropriate, but it, the the story of the Bible is really about the the image of God is created in the garden. Man falls into sin, 
And then all, then sin and condemnation and death spreads to all of mankind, but it begins with God putting his image in the garden, and that's represented by Adam. Right. He's the head of all humanity, so he falls. He fails to be the true image of God and to reflect God's glory and image into the world. So the story ends up being God himself in the person of Christ condescends, God incarnate, he lives a life that we've all failed, died for the sins of his people, and rose again from the dead, and he's ascended and seated, and he's the ruling king. But the the core issue in the Gospels is that Jesus is the image of God, perfect. Right. He's he's what man is supposed to be. Right. And so I think you got to start the question of like, well, what is it? What does it mean to be a man? Honestly, I think you have to say if you're going to dissect it and really unpack it right, it's Jesus. Um. Right. He's, he's what God intended man to be. And I think if you look at what Jesus was like, there, you could spend forever unpacking this amazing story. <laughs> right. But if you talk about in, ter- in terms of like him, what does he show in his life? Well, he shows a consistent and fierce commitment to the truth. Mm. Um, that's mm. a key issue is that Jesus displays that he's not afraid of men that he first and foremost is submitted to the Father and he wants to glorify the Father. And so Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. But Jesus always had a supremely um, uh, powerful commitment to truth. This is the truth. So when you put Jesus into a fight, he's not backing down. Right. Uh, And also, as a man, as a true man, as the image of God, he's not rude. He's not boastful. He's not mean-spirited. He tells the truth, and at times he does it in Matthew 23 with a serrated edge. He calls people who are abusing people. He says, woe to them seven times. That Mm -hmm. means a curse on you. Uh, And he exposes their sin. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. That's like, you know, you look good on the outside, but you're full of dead, stinking, rotting humans. Right. Um, and he he challenges them for their injustices, but so he's he's never afraid to use the serrated edge. But his life is not a consistent life of serrated edge. You also see that, hey, lo and behold, um, people wanted to be with him. Um, you know, people don't like being around nasty, abusive, abrasive people right. all the time. Right. And yet G- people are flocking to Jesus because they can come to him right. uh, for peace. They can come to him for comfort. They could come to him for um, uh, healing. Um, they wanted to hear him. They they loved and longed to be with him. And he drew people to him because That's he al- he always told the truth. He was always loving. And yet he also was willing to defend the truth at all costs. And I would say he demonstrates the fact that he is the image of God and the perfect man in terms of his fierce commitment to the truth and his always telling the truth and his courage to fight for the truth. His protection of other people. He yep. has sheep. He lays his life down for them. He feeds his sheep. He cares for his sheep. Uh, greater love has no man this than this than a man laid down his life for um, his, you know, others. So Jesus mm-hmm. shows that there's a selflessness to him, a protective aspect to his maleness. He is he's protecting others. He's providing for others. He's fiercely committed to the truth. And so those are those are some attributes I think of what it means to be a man. Um, that God himself is displaying as he lives as the perfect man. Yeah, that's incredible. It, you read Colossians chapter one, Colossians, one of my favorite books in the Bible, talking about Christ being the imprint of God, you know, the, the visible imprint of God. And I've often said of the gospels, what we have in, you know, particularly the synoptics is an illustration of what a perfect Christian would be. As we follow Jesus Christ, we see how he cried his heart was broken. We see his strength. And as you said, he did not back down from a fight. I mean, again and again and again to the face, standing up the most powerful people in the world or his world, at least at that time. Um, An incredible example. And yet we seem to have forgotten much of that as a Christian community. Why do you think that as Christians, we struggle so much? Maybe there's a second part. How could the church, you know, in a more universal sense, the church, or local churches do a better job of helping young men understand what it is to be men. What are we missing? What could we be doing that we're not? Oh, there's so much here, but I think at least foundational issues. I want to, I always want to go for the jugular and and take the legs off, right? (laughs) So like, you know, there's a million things you can talk about, but I, I think that the core issue today in, in modern evangelicalism in the West is that we have, as my friend says, we have this Disney Jesus, uh, that's, that's right 
propagated within the Christian community. So like, you know, you even have like the, the, the response of Christian culture to any kind of like cutting serrated edge with the truth, you know, oh, that's, you know, you're not being like Jesus. It's right. like, well, you really right. need to read some of what Jesus said. <laughs> right. It's much worse than what I said. Um, right. And, you know, you, you see that in, in this, this Disney Jesus, this soft and effeminate Jesus, this Jesus who is, who is just love. And it's like, we forget the fact that, you know, the God of the Old Testament is love and justice. Right. He's not just justice, he's love and justice. But the God of the New Testament is also love and justice. And that's seen supremely in the fact that there's a cross right. where love and justice meet um and so it's it's interesting because i think if you were to if you were to look back there's never a utopia behind us the church is being sanctified throughout church history there's never a utopia but we had some good moments marked down that were you know that's a lot of blessing that's a lot of good stuff and you look at a time of you just just read the portrayals of jesus given to us by the puritans yeah all right and read the portrayals of jesus uh from say jonathan edwards america's greatest theologian uh, compare that to the modern Jesus portrayed on the average Sunday morning, you know, at a mega church across North America. And it's like, that's a, two very different portrayals of Jesus. Um, you know, one's, one's this, one's this powerful, mighty savior, this warrior King, this, this bringer of peace, this, this one who tells the truth that no, no matter the cost, and you've got the Jesus today that just wants you to be happy and he wants you to be just he wants you to be so right. just just he just wants you to be satisfied and, and good good with him and good with the world and and you know he he never wants to cause any controversy and like you know if you cause trouble as a Christian, you need to rethink your uh, your evangelism methodology it's like you know. <laughs> Yeah, right. it's one of the things I've said uh, often is like, you know, if you look at Jesus and the apostles, they would fail like a lot of the seminary courses and Bible college courses <laughs> right. on it evangelism. Yeah. Right. They'd fail it because they're causing trouble and riots yeah. are breaking out and like they're having to be on the run for their lives, not because they're just causing trouble for trouble's sake, but you know, as Walter Martin said, he said, controversy for the sake of controversy is sin, but controversy for the sake of truth is a divine command. Right. Um and you you see I think the issue, it starts at the pulpit. You, you got to come against the pulpit first. We have watered down messages. We have self-help messages, life coaching messages, and we don't have the Bible being taught and people being able to read through the Bible and be taught the Bible to say, oh, this is what truth does in a culture like ours that's decaying. Uh, this is what a real man looks like. And, and this is what the Christian church does in the public square. Like it preaches truth to the point that a riot breaks out. Um, it preaches truth to the point that you're in trouble with the government um, sort of a thing. And that's what the truth looks like in a fallen world. As light comes into darkness to dispel it, uh, there's a lot of controversy and conflict that comes with that. And we have a Disney Jesus that's cartoonish that just wants to sing songs with you and, um, you know, put a dress on you and a, and a you know, <laughs> tiara on your head. Right. You know, it's, it's, I think it's a problem of the pulpit. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting that the contrast between what is often preached and what Jesus preached. I, I preached on Sunday morning at my home church, um, and I focused on Matthew chapter 6, 33, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the kingdom of God, a well-known uh, verse. But it, it's almost as if Jesus is, is saying to those gathered, like, like stop, <laughs> it's not about you, stop it. You need to seek first my kingdom. You need to do what I've called you to do. It's about glorifying me. I, I spent so much time studying that chapter, but even on prayer, I know what you need. It's not about that. Glorify your father. And again and again, and he says that, but then we have turned that almost and made it about us. Everything is about you. The Christian life is about you. God's blessing is about you and God blesses. And the Christian life is a, of tremendous benefit to us, of course, but, um, we then carry that into our relationships, into our marriages, into our interaction with others, where it's really all about us, how we feel. And, and um, it, it breaks your heart in one sense, because really, you're right. If the pulpit doesn't get it right, then the folks in the church aren't going to get it right. The parents aren't going to teach their kids right. And, and this is something we'll be dealing with, you know, until Christ returns, I guess. It's, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, it's primarily a, a failure in the pulpit. That's yeah. what I believe. What can uh, Christian fathers do if you had, you know, sit down a group of guys and they've got kids. I've got a 21-year-old son. I also have a 12-year-old son. I've got some daughters, but um, I love my daughters. That wasn't a but, like, but they're not important. But I'm trying to train my boys up. Um, 
what advice do you give to, to dads? Here's what you need to do to raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What does that look like? So I think that discipleship in the Christian home um, is is more than, um, say, um, the time of family worship mm. or sitting down to devotionals. Yes, we should do that. Yes. Okay. Yes and amen to that. Um, and, and we all need to do it more. Um, however, they, I think discipleship, uh, especially for boys in the home, has to be something where the father is carrying the child along with him through his life. He is good. doing it by example. And the, my sons should see me, not, not just at home, uh, engaging with them in worldview stuff. Like I'm always looking for those opportunities that That's pop good. up. Yep. If we see something when we're out together. I want to engage with that and talk to them about it. Or if we see something on television, I want to engage with that worldview and help them to refute it. Uh, if somebody makes a claim on a, on a podcast and it's on YouTube and you know we hear it, I want to talk to my sons about, do you know how to reason through that? I want to teach my boys how to reason like Jesus and mm-hmm. how to have a Christian mind. So I think that the, you have to focus in upon, not on just like the moment where I, I did a Bible study with my kid uh, last Monday night. It's like, no. This has to be a focused effort where it's like all day, every day, you're teaching your boys to be men, Christian right. men. Yeah. So that means that you're, you're helping them to reason. You know, it's one of the things I even challenge. I have three boys. Uh, one of the things I, I'll even challenge my, my, my boys on, I have consistently, is if there's some faulty sort of ungodly, unbiblical reasoning happening, maybe when they're being challenged with something, they've done something wrong, and then I challenge them, and they try to give me some bootleg sort of like, you know, <laughs> right. um, fleshly answer. Right. I'll say to them specifically, God calls you to, to reason in a godly way. Mm. That's not consistent. It's not glorifying to God. I want you to be a man who reasons in a way that glorifies God. Let's talk about why that's faulty reasoning. And I'll give them like, you know, biblical reasoning as to why you can't talk like that. You can't reason like that. You've got to be able to accept wrong um, and not hide from it when you are wrong and just be humble as a man and, and ask God for forgiveness and ask me for forgiveness. You know, even challenging moments like that, like let it be the, the scriptures that are constantly leading every moment and you're letting your kids filter. But I think here's a key thing. If I would say, I think premierly, and I mean this premierly, I believe this for the home and the church. Um, these boys are going to learn to be men by example. Yeah. The Christian faith is taught. Mm. There's no question about that. It is taught. We need to teach it often, but to be honest with you, I think in terms of like, uh, the bulk of sort of like, I get it is because they see it. That's right. It's caught and discipleship discipleship isn't merely taught it's caught yeah. and we we get a sense for it we get around it we feel it we it's it, it's something that we we go okay now i see um it's portrayed in front of us and so what we say for church is that we we do say this often that one of the failures of the pulpit in america is that the leadership of those churches is not leading their church by example like you can say go reach your friends with the gospel gospel but if your church isn't seeing you do it Um, they're not seeing you engage in like tough fights and seeing you engage in the public square with the gospel without fear, with courage, then they're not going to do it themselves. Uh, and so you need to lead, but also your boys need to see what a godly man does, which means they should see their dad. I mean, your boys need to see their dad. Um, well, first and foremost, starting with consistency, consistency in the home, loving your wife, loving your kids, making sure that there's unequal weights and sorry, equal weights and measures in the home, that you're that you're applying God's wisdom and His law in your home, that you're that you're speaking about Christ and His forgiveness, like that needs to be constant. Leading in the home, being the man in the home, leading your wife, not being abusive, not being heavy-handed showing that you're patient, showing that you use wisdom, uh, giving your family love and grace and mercy. Like first and foremost, let them see man, godly man like that. But then they need to see also their dad fighting. Um, I'm, I, I don't know if this, this might bother some guys are like, well, you know, I'm not equipped for that, whatever. No, you need to be a fighter. Sorry. Yeah. yeah men need to fight. <laughs> you need to be courageous. You need to be a fighter. You need to defend your home. You need to defend the gospel and your kids, your, your little boys need to see you being a fighter. doesn't mean you'd need to be a, an abusive man. Don't go out right. there knocking people's heads off, but they need to see you defending and fighting for the truth out there. Uh, because men defend men, protect men, provide men speak the truth. 
And uh, that's what Jesus did. And so they need to see you doing it. They need to not hear you just talking about how great the gospel is and how it needs to be defended and we need to fight for the truth. They need to see you doing it. So if, if your boys never see you coming home cut up and bloody, and I mean that, of course, not necessarily literally, but <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they don't see you, you know, taking some, some, sure. some bruises for the gospel, then they're not going to do it either. Yeah, that's good. Man, Jeff, there's so much good there. Um, we need to pivot, but I'd love to stay, I'd love to stay there. There's so much good. Yeah. With all of that in mind, um, let's 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 pivot to the abortion discussion. But what is the role of a biblical man in, in dealing with uh, I mean, the murder of unborn children in the United States that's sanctioned by our federal government? What's the role and where are men missing it? So there's there's the there's the set of, there's the part of this that is very deeply theological. Um, we've been indoctrinated by the pro-life industry um, with a worldview that's contrary to a biblical worldview in terms of how we deal with the issue, what we'll, what we'll accept in terms of legislation. They, they, they will explicitly say that they're not Christian. Uh, they'll explicitly say they're not operating with the Bible as their guide. Um, and they'll, they'll be fine with um, uh, legislation that is uh, unequal weights and measures and shows partiality. You can kill these kids, but not these kids, those sorts of things. So there's theological issues there and issues of justice in, in terms of what God says is just and what we should pursue that are sort of like, you know, packed in there. We need to talk about those things. Those need to be understood. Um, but when we talk about the role of men in this fight, it's clear in Scripture that God um, has called men to be leaders and men to, um, to be courageous and to fight these battles. It's not to say that women shouldn't be courageous and they shouldn't fight for the lives of the preborn, of course, those, of those sorts of things. But it's interesting that God has given, and our world hates this now, uh, designated roles and giftings to each gender. Like, for example, uh, in Scripture, it would be considered a high-handed sin to try to, to try to throw women into combat. Um, and um, because God has designed men for those sorts of situations in terms of men uh, going out and fighting battles and getting bloody and defending the innocent, those sorts of things. Um, and so there's, a, there's an issue there in Scripture regarding the role of men that are supposed to be leading in the areas of fighting and taking the hits. But then you move also to another uh, sphere, a discussion in terms of men and what God has designated in the home in terms of men being the protectors, the providers, the leaders of the home, the shepherds of their home. Uh, women have unique giftings. Uh, women are stars in that respect in all the ways that they can love and serve and use their giftings and all the amazing attributes that God has given to them. They have their role as well. And it's equal in terms of there's a quality there in the image of God between male and female, but the man is supposed to be the leader. And so this might be controversial in some circles, but I believe that men are supposed to lead in the home. Right. And I believe that men are supposed to lead in the church. And uh, I think that's what the Bible teaches. I think it's incontrovertible. But when you consider that, like, okay, God gives us these spheres of government. We've got the home. We've got the church. We've got uh, government. And it's interesting because as you look through his word, he expects and calls men to lead in those spheres. Lead, 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 yep. and be the leaders, be the examples, and fight for truth and justice and all those things and righteousness. It's men, 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 men. Yep. It's not to say women don't have a role; they have an equal role and as an as important role in all in in all these areas of life. However, it's men lead, men lead, men lead. And so, when you think about an issue in our day like the horrific injustice of the slaughter of the preborn in just this country, over 60 million human beings slaughtered just since Roe versus Wade. There's right. no way to really calculate because we don't know how many uh, are added to that with like Plan B pills and sure. uh, the abortifacients um, in other areas. So with that, um, because we don't have men that are courageous, because we don't have men that are studied and skilled in the area of the word of God and able to apply it to all of life, because we don't have men who are willing to go into the public square and defend the truth at all costs, like Jesus was, um, in the area of the injustice of the preborn, we don't have courageous men to simply go into these realms, speak the truth, and, and, and not worry about the consequences. Just tell the truth. This is murder. It needs to end immediately, and no, we won't compromise. We have too many men that are just um, conditioned to compromise. Um, mm -hmm. 
rather than having men like say as 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 terrified as Moses may have been, he still uh, starting in Exodus five goes to Pharaoh, the government of the day, and he says, "This is the word from God. Let my people go." And Pharaoh eventually, after seeing that God is the true God and all the crazy things happening in Egypt and showing his power over the Egyptian gods, Pharaoh eventually tries to compromise with Moses, like. Well, how about just this much? Right. Like, how about right. you can still stay in the land and you can still worship God, but you're in the land doing your religion, but like you can't <laughs> leave. And what what's Moses as a man of God say when he had a word from God? No, the no the 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 command is to let my people go. And that's it. Yeah, no yeah. compromise. That's the word from God that you're supposed to obey. And so we have these examples of of men, biblical men, godly men who are called to be courageous, speak the truth, and not compromise. And because we've taught our men that Jesus is a sissy, that Jesus is a, is Jesus is a soft, effeminate man who just walks around carrying little lambs all day long, yeah. um, because we have the Disney Jesus, men don't have anyone to emulate and look up to and say, oh, that's what a man looks like, because we have this fictitious portrait of Jesus, of a Jesus who doesn't actually fight for the truth. And it's like, that's... Jesus took a beating for the truth. Yeah, um, right. Jesus died for the truth. Um, and so so the issue of, of the injustice perpetrated upon the preborn is that we have men who don't know what a godly man is or what he does in the world. And so what I want to say is we need our men to read the Bible and start acting like it's true. And uh, because we don't have men leading in this area, because we have men actually compromising this area constantly, we have this catastrophic issue in front of us of the slaughter of the preborn, and no one's willing to simply say, this is the word of God, Yeah, no compromise. Yeah, that's good. Now, when you say no compromise, a lot of people listening would hear, um, let's do the best that we can. Um, you know, we talk about things like heartbeat bills and, you know, all these other measures. Uh, you would say that that is a compromise. Can, can you talk about, oh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, my understanding is you would see that as a compromise. Um, can you talk about when you say the pro-life movement and how damaging it's been that in um, contrast to the abolitionist position? Yeah. So when I say pro-life, uh, that's biblical for life. There's nothing wrong with the terminology. It's actually biblical. It's good. We're for life. There we are for yeah. life. Yes. Right. Nothing wrong with that. So you hear me often making sure I'm very clear on this is I'm talking about the pro-life establishment, the pro-life industry. Sure. Um, this is a massive, massive industry with leadership and with a doctrine. This is really important and with a doctrine and they have explicitly said from the top that they're not Christian organizations, that they're not operating with the Bible as their guide. Um, and uh, they, of course, adopt uh, principles from a biblical worldview. They'll say things like, we believe the human life begins at conception. That's an indisputable biblical and biological fact. And so they'll accept that. All life is sacred. Yeah. All human life begins at conception. But they don't fight like that because though they say it's human from conception – they have a worldview where they believe that mothers and fathers who deliver their babies to the assassin are themselves victims. Um, now, I want to remind everybody as we think through this, and I want to say this very graciously and humbly, and just please hear me on this. Abortionists aren't walking around the, your city streets looking for kids to kill. Sure. They have locations. Sure. And the people who are bringing uh, their children in are the mothers and fathers. Now, in every Christian nation, nation transformed by the gospel and impacted by the biblical worldview, um, ultimately abortion is a crime, and uh, it's considered homicide, and it's illegal. Uh, it was across the United States of America and many of the states that you can still see the statutes are still on the books, that it's murder, it's homicide, and it's, it comes with sanctions. Until very recently, literally a couple of years ago, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland saw abortion as murder. And it was a crime, one of the last standing Christian nations that still had those on the books and was uh, treating it as such. And so um, this concept uh, that abortion is murder is a biblical and logical necessity uh, because murder is defined as the unjustified taking of human life. That'd be murder. And uh, we've always seen it like that. Christian history has shown that. That's how we've always treated this. And so what has happened, though, is the pro-life industry has adopted a doctrine that is not biblical, where they say that a mother or father who um, delivers their child 
uh, to be decapitated, disemboweled, and dismembered is themselves themselves uh, victims. They are victims. And so because of that, it's very important for people to capture this. Um, because when I say the pro-life industry, I'm not talking about the average pro-life Christian. We all understand this right. is murder. It needs to stop. Right. We assume the pro-life industry is fighting for it to end. Not so. Uh, they don't want it to ever be seen as criminal for the people who perpetrate it. Um, and so they're not fighting for an ultimate end to abortion. They are fighting for regulation. And someone says, well, why is this compromise? Let's just think about it biblically. God says in his word over and over and over again, unequal weights and measures um, are a sin. It's unjust. Um, partiality is a sin. God actually calls uh, unequal weights and measures, uh, he calls it abomination. The same word he uses for what every Christian agrees in terms of sexual ethics is used for that other abomination mm. in terms of sex. Well, he uses the same thing, toiva, abomination, uh, for unequal weights and measures. So if someone says, uh, how do you feel about a 15-week ban? You mean a, a bill that says you can kill these humans right, right, but right. not these ones? Right. That's unequal weights and measures. Someone says – Okay, well, what about a heartbeat bill? Okay, a heartbeat bill, let's think about it biblically. You can kill these human beings, but not these human beings. That's partiality, but it goes further than that. What you're doing when you say, let's do a heartbeat bill, is um, you're saying that what defines a human being as worthy of protection is a working heart. Tell that to the cardiovascular ward at the hospital. Um, and uh, that's that's not what makes you valuable as a human. But furthermore, a heartbeat bill is is fallacious because what you're saying is uh, to the assassin who's being paid if he can uh, not find a heartbeat. Uh, if you find a heartbeat, you're not going to get paid. If you don't find one, you'll get paid. You're telling the assassin who's being paid find the heartbeat. It's very easy. And we demonstrated this in our film. Babies are still murdered here. It's very easy for an ultrasound technician to not find a heartbeat. It's 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 not difficult. Um, and so also the heartbeat bill in Texas. Um, I'm going to finish this up, and I think people will probably be blown away after they hear this. The heartbeat bill in Texas, in terms of its injustice, says that there's no penalties for um, violating this statute. And it goes to the citizens to civil litigation if they want to prosecute. It's not even an issue of a sanction as, in, as though it were a crime. And the value put on human life, if it's violated, is $10,000. That's what human life is worth in Texas. But there's one more point on this point of Texas. That heartbeat bill that went in Texas um, that everybody was up in arms about around the country, yep. it, it, was, it was very – it was astonishing to us. Because literally weeks before that, we had a bill in the legislature in Texas that was an equal protection abolition criminalization bill over. And no one heard about it. No one talked about it because the pro-life establishment in Texas, are you ready for this? Killed it. They, a number of times, they fought against it. They didn't want people to know about it. They wanted their bill to go in, which was a regulation bill. And it was a six. It was a heartbeat bill, but our bill would have actually criminalized it and ended it. So people were freaking out in Texas over the heartbeat bill, but our bill said it's criminal; it'd be abolished. Um, and it also comes with this final problem in terms of legislation: um, the pro-life establishment has indoctrinated our nation into believing that Roe versus Wade is a law. Now, right. a couple points on that. Number That's one, right. our constitution says our constitution says that Congress creates law not the Supreme Court. Right. The Supreme Court's an opinion. It's a fallacious court opinion, easy to refute today. Uh, but the Supreme Court's not the supreme being, and they cannot legislate. And so it's Congress that legislates. So here's the thing. Roe versus Wade isn't a law. It's a court opinion that the states have the right to reject, like mm -hmm. they did in the Dred Scott case related to slavery, where the Supreme Court said some wicked, racist, evil things about black people. And the state said, uh, go pound sand. Right. I'm not listening to you. Right. So the states today should tell the court, go pound sand. You're not killing children in our state. Now, what's interesting here is the pro-life establishment thinks that Roe versus Wade is a law. They act like it is. But guess who doesn't believe it's a law? Joe Biden, the White House press secretary, because over the last two years, they've announced a number of times that it is Joe Biden's position and his desire uh, to create legislation that codifies Roe versus Wade. 
isn't interesting. Joe Biden understands that Roe versus Wade isn't right. law, and it needs right. to be it needs to be made legislation. But the pro life establishment still operates on the basis that Roe is law. It isn't. It just needs to be ignored, and the states need to establish equal protection for all human beings. That's good. What do you say to the Christian person? I'm sure you've had this conversation many, many times. Who would say, "I agree with you, Jeff. I get it. I don't want any abortion. I believe that it should be criminalized." But fewer abortions is better than more. If these things are leading us down the path to getting to the place where we can uh, abolish all abortion, then we're for it. What do you say to that person? What's, what's your response to that person? Oh, I, I take it to heart because, of course, I don't want anyone to die. So first and foremost, I get the sentiment in it, and, and I get the emotional weight of that right. challenge. Um, I would say first and foremost um, – can we think about it in just for a minute before I give the biblical reasons? Because it's an emotional, it's an emotional challenge first and sure. foremost. Sure, of course. It clearly is not a principle challenge. It's an emotional one. Um, it draws on the emotions. It's not principled ultimately because if it was principled ultimately, it'd be it's human life. It just needs to be protected. Period. Love your neighbor. Uh, don't do unequal weights and measures. All that. So it's I feel the weight of it emotionally. So what I would say is this: Okay, can we think about it in a different way? Because culturally, we've been indoctrinated, even as Christians, to think sure. about this a certain way. Sure. Can we go back to what we all see? Because as behind us now, we had victory as Christian abolitionists over the issue of slavery. We won that battle. Okay, so let's go back to slavery. Yeah. What if you were living in the time during, where, during which slavery was legal? And what if someone said, okay, um, let's propose legislation. We'll compromise a little. I mean, I recognize slavery is, you know, yeah. a, a wicked system and let's compromise on it. Let's say that you can beat your slaves, but you just can't use sharp tools to do it. Mm. Would you accept that reasoning in legislation sure. or would you just fight against it? Or I'll give you another one. What if someone says, okay, you can enslave Black people 19 years and older, but none younger. Sure, sure. Would you fight for legislation like that as a Christian? Or let's take it to sex trafficking. What if somebody in a place where sex trafficking was legal or whatever, um, they suggested legislation that says, okay, let's chip away at this. Let's say um, you can do sex trafficking, but not to handicap kids. Uh, that's parallel to some of the pro-life legislation yep. um, or they said, okay, you can do sex trafficking, but no one, um, no one under the age of 13, would you as a Christian fight for mm -hmm. legislation like that? Or would you, you just say, no, that's an abomination. It needs to be over. Let's end it. And that's the problem is that we've been indoctrinated to compromise in the area of fighting against uh, the murder of human beings that like, well, let's just chip away at it. No, these babies are dying today. You're talking about upwards of 3,000 babies a day that are slaughtered in this country. So no, I, I don't believe that the, the emotional weight of that argument is powerful enough to ignore what is the case. And then I would say this, final thing I'd say in it, Jeff, don't you think that we should just do what we can Run all the plays is is often said. They'll say just run all the plays. Yeah. I would say, well, first in my experience as a martial artist, I would never tell somebody just do any technique you can. I would say <laughs> do whatever you can. You're probably going to lose. Why don't you try to do the moves that work? Uh, first of all, do the things that work. The next thing I would say to that is when someone says run all the plays and just do what you can, I would say even the stuff that God calls sin, mm. even the things He says are an abomination. So should I run the play that God says he hates? He says unequal weights and measures, partiality is an abomination. Should I run the abomination play? Do you think that God is honored and glorified in that? Do you think that God is pleased with that? On the last day, here's the question I often ask, and I said this last week during our show. On the last day, if this piece of legislation was put before the Lord, would that piece of legislation be something that God hates? And if the answer to that question is yes, then we can't run that play. Right. We need to be like Moses. Let my people go. Yeah, that's good. And as Christians, our standard is different than perhaps those who aren't Christians and are responding entirely emotionally. Um, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Uh, 
man, so many other things we could talk about, but we'll, we'll stop there. Thank you for your time and for breaking that down. Where can people, um, apology at studios is incredible. Um, I spend a lot of time there again. Thank you, brother. The way things have been archived, it's easy to search, find a topic. Uh, it's, it's well discussed there and well broken down there. Other than that, where would you like to send people? Where do you want them to go? Yeah, apologiastudios.com would be where people can go. They can get all the content, the radio shows. They can yep. even get Bonson U. We talked about seminary. Right. Uh, we have a, basically uh, Bonson's free, his whole seminary stuff. It's, yeah, we have it. It's free. You don't even have to pay for seminary. You want the education? It's mm. free and it's the best. It's at Bonson U at apologiastudios.com. You're not going to get better training than that. Trust me. Um, and there's more coming all the time. It's like 2000 lectures and stuff. We have to, we have to, uh, we're, we're improving and then right. putting up. Uh, so there's that. Then I would say Apologia Studios on YouTube, if you want to get lots more teaching and evangelism on the street stuff, but endabortionnow.com is where you can go to actually sign up with your church to get free resources from us and training to go out and do what we do at the abortion mills. And when I say free, I mean, it's free. We don't want anything from you at all. We want to give everything away to your church to raise you up to do this. Um, we have at least eight babies a day right now who are being saved. Uh, and that's just what we can calculate. Yeah. Um, thousands have been saved through this work. And so go there, get free training, get free resources. If you want to participate and help the work, uh, you can go to endabortionnow.com and you can give there. Uh, that'd be a blessing to us, but go there and sign up with your church, get the training, get the resources and join us in this fight. Awesome. Jeff Durbin. Thank you so much, man. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, brother, for having me on. It's an honor. Yes, sir. An amazing conversation. I feel like I could have uh, asked questions for a much longer time than I did. And uh, I just appreciate Jeff giving me that much time. Very, very gracious. And uh, so thankful for the work that he's doing and the work that his team, of course, is doing. A lot of folks involved in that. And uh, very thankful for that. Thankful he'd come on and spend some time breaking those things down for us. Very, very helpful. Take some time to comment on this episode. Uh, you can like it, of course. You need to do that. If you haven't subscribed on the YouTube channel and hit the notification bell, do that. Subscribe to the podcast platform. Do all of those things. But then share this out. There are people in your life that need to hear this conversation. Share it out. And uh, it will be a help to many. Thank you for doing it. Thank you, Jeff, for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. This is the March or Die show. And I want to remind you as we conclude today, uh, as I do every week, when the bullets of life are coming your direction, when it feels like you are under attack, you really only have two choices. You can stay where you are and die emotionally, relationally. Uh, you can just give up. You can do that. Or you can march. And the choice is always yours. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East, equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.